just want to take a moment to say thank you to our singers and to Danny. The tremendous gift that not only today, this week, but this semester, music has been for us. Uh, thank you to Hayden and our bands who have played and led us. There is something about music that captures our hearts and leads us through words that we can't speak ourselves. But you've, you've given us that gift today. It's been a tremendous semester of music. I'm so grateful. And I'm grateful not just for the music that you sing, but the community that you become to each other and to the campus, the way you pray for us and lead us. So thank you. Well, yesterday um, we had a very different chapel where we asked people to share different ways that they encountered in their own backgrounds, traditions, cultures to prepare for Christmas. Whether they grew up in a family that celebrated Advent or not, whether they grew up in a culture where Christmas was everywhere or really more contained in their own church or family, it was fascinating to hear how different people prepare. And some of those were very sacred acts. And some of them, maybe not so much. Um, I have one that I didn't share yesterday that I would love to share with you, that when I was growing up, one of the ways, not a liturgical practice, mind you, but one of the ways I seemed to prepare and know that it was time to get excited about Christmas is that the Christmas specials began to come on TV. In the days before streaming, uh, you had to get it just at the right time and catch the right moment that a show was on. So things like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman, you know, those old claymation Christmases, like Charlie Brown and his sad little Christmas tree, all these stories that I loved watching and experiencing. And a few years ago, when our kids were small, uh, someone shared a link to an article online that promised to have a schedule that year of all the Christmas specials and when you could watch them. I didn't have time to read the whole article, so I just, I did what you do, I just forwarded it, right? I sent it on to my husband, Jim, and said, hey, we should watch some of these with the kids, right? They're getting old enough to experience this, and um, why don't you record them? And he emailed back, because friends, this is what marriage is. You just <laughs> email and text each other and say hi when you can. But um, he emailed back and said, which ones do you want me to record? And I said, well, all of them. Just record all of them. Like, this is, this is my practice of getting ready. This is the way that I get excited, prepare my heart. I want to share it with my kids, record all of them. But it turned out that all of them was not a possibility. Because in the article that I did not read before forwarding it, it had links to 285 <laughs> separate Christmas holiday, for most of them, specials. Now, Grant, a few of those were repeats of the same show, different channels, but 285 different stories that were supposedly about this season that were in. There were the ones I remembered. There was Frosty. There was the Grinch. But there were also some that were rather new to me. Elmo Saves Christmas. <laughs> Shrek the Halls. Uh, more lately, Guardians of the Galaxy has a Christmas special. Doctor Who has a Christmas special. The Simpsons, Roasting on an Open Fire, is one of the options. And if you want literary roots, you've got Mickey's Christmas Carol, Bugs Bunny's Christmas Carol, Barbie's Christmas Carol, 
You can't forget the Muppets, Christmas Carol. But I'm not sure this is what Charles Dickens had in mind. <laughs> A shout out to my friend Jeremiah Gutierrez with Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, which was a Muppet production. Um, and those 285 didn't even count the Hallmark movies. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, there are sort of more romantic movies about Christmas, evidently, the 12 dates of Christmas. But there's also the 12 trees of Christmas, the 12 dogs of Christmas, and then, of course, the classic, The Twelve Dogs of Christmas, part two. Because <laughs> evidently, 12 dogs isn't enough. You need 24. And I started to think about what would have happened if we had, in fact, recorded and watched all 285 holiday specials that year. First of all, we would have had to get a second DVR or something, because I'm not sure there's room. But if we had spent all the hours it would take to watch all of those specials, or if we had shown them all to our kids, what would that have done to us? What kind of preparation would that be? What would those stories have shaped in our hearts and minds? What lessons would have come out at the end if we had watched somehow all of these specials claiming to communicate the story of the season? Two things I thought when I heard about those 285. One is that we're all so excited for the Christmas story, but a lot of us have no idea what story we're talking about. We're so excited, we make up story upon story. And the second thing I realized is we're really terrible at waiting. We are terrible. We don't like to wait. We want what we want, and we want it now. You know, this year, the day after Halloween, my kids started begging to change the radio station in the car to Mix 94.7, which had been transformed into Merry Mixmas. 24 hours of Christmas music, November 1st, starting the day after Halloween. We resisted as long as we could. Christmas specials and Christmas music are really holiday because we're not sure they're about Christmas. They have their way of showing up earlier and earlier every year before December even arrives. And this is true year round, but it's so obvious in this season, we are terrible at waiting. The good news is the Christian calendar has a cure for this. And the cure is the season of Advent. Because Advent is training to wait. Advent means coming or arrival. It's this season of waiting, of preparation. Think about things like getting busy cleaning the house before an anticipated guest comes. Like spending time waiting for dough to rise so you can smell fresh bread baking. Or I love Alita Barnes yesterday sharing that in December they plant a seed and watch it grow to wait for Christ or waiting for a baby. Thankful that there's nine months to prepare because there's a lot to get ready for. Advent's a time when we are reminded, we're convincing ourselves and others that Jesus is worth the wait and that we don't want to have a premature birth. We want one well prepared for and waited for. And so, we share this rich Advent tradition, hymns, 
that we never seem to get a chance to sing other times because we're too busy decking the halls prematurely. So you'll hear some of those here in chapel, these sometimes haunting minor tunes. And they seem strange to our ears when Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is playing in the grocery store over the speakers or Mixmas is on in the car. These songs we sing, they, they prepare us. They're setting the stage for a story. And this is a story the world will never tell. It's ours to tell. These are our Christmas specials. Our story of waiting, a story that starts with creation and fall, with history and law, with judgment and grace, with prophets, strange prophets crying out, sending messages to prepare, to get ready to receive a gift. And then when you open up the Gospel of Luke, you find that Luke has his own Christmas special, a Christmas special for the ages. He has a way with anticipation with building up to the story for the birth of Christ by making us wait for it. So Luke opens with a story of an expectant mother, and we think, oh, we know this one. We know who this baby will be, but we're wrong. It's not that one. Instead of the story of a young unmarried virgin, we find an older married woman named Elizabeth. This woman's been married for decades so long that she and her husband, Zechariah, the priest, have long known how to finish each other's sentences. Or better yet, just, just to give each other a look. That's all they need to communicate. Elizabeth has hoped for so long to become a mother that she's given up hoping. She is no longer in the age bracket that welcomes little bundles of joy. And yet, in this surprising special, Elizabeth finds herself unexpectedly expecting. Instead of hot flashes, morning sickness. Instead of saving for retirement, dipping into savings to buy baby clothes. And then her young cousin Mary comes to visit. And before either of them can say a word, the baby within Elizabeth recognizes, recognizes baby within Mary and knows something wonderful about this baby that she's carrying. And this joyful greeting, I mean, I wish we really had a transcript of the conversation. I mean, Luke tells a great story, but I want details, don't you? I mean, questions like, how in the world is Elizabeth pregnant at such an advanced age? How in the world is Mary pregnant at such a young age without a husband? These are not polite questions. These are none of your business kinds of questions. But you know they talked about it. Luke is poking and prodding. He is in some off-limits areas. Leave it to Luke, the doctor, to come right out and talk about pregnancy in chapter 1. Believe it or not, uh, there are still some areas, some generations that don't even like to say the word pregnant out loud. Do you know this? I mean, traditionally, this was not something you talked about. You might say, her condition. You might say, she's in a family way, right? These were code words. If you don't think this still exists, I have a friend who is an associate pastor at a church who was pregnant. 
And she wanted to announce to the church to let them know. She wanted to know the appropriate way to kind of make the announcement. And so her senior pastor said he would just tell them for her that he would congratulate her in the worship service. And that seemed like a good idea, except when he got up to make the announcement, he would not say the word. And so he kept referring to it as her blessing. (laughs) This decade, friends, her blessing, that they were so excited about her blessing and that they were thanking God for her blessing. And her blessing was such a blessing. <laughs> and it left people wondering, like, did she win a car? I mean, what, like, what, what was her blessing? I don't know. And here you have Luke, not shying away from it. No one's experiencing a blessing or a condition. It's Mary and Elizabeth, pregnant and pregnant. And that is about where their similarities cease. I mean, they could not be at two more different stages of life. Anti-acne cream meets anti-wrinkle cream. The driver's permit meets the senior discount. Here they are. Look at them in this story. And yet here they are in the same wondrous, unexpected condition. If we wanted to go all IBS on it, Dr. Donjal, we would say there is a recurrence of pregnancy happening in the story, <laughs> is there not? And yet, and yet, the list of contrasts is far longer than the lists of recurrences. Young and old, married and unmarried, pregnant with a baby that fulfills the longing of many years, and pregnant with a baby who will be the surprise of the century. So much more is going on here than just two relatives getting together to celebrate the impending arrival of new babies in the family. There is a picture being painted for us of God's people, of their longing, the longing of centuries, of generations waiting for a Messiah to show up and rescue them. See, God's people had been waiting for thousands of years, as long as anyone could remember, for someone to come up and rescue and right all the wrongs that they had endured. And this Messiah had been forecast and broadcast and advertised for so long, and people had gotten their hopes up pretty high. Isaiah told about it this way in chapter 9, the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Almighty Father, Prince of Peace. No pressure, right? Those are some high expectations. And God's people had put all of their hopes in the arrival of this Messiah. And while much of the Old Testament paints this picture of an expectant people long overdue for a baby to come, No one had arrived. To me, that sounds a lot like Elizabeth's condition. Those years of waiting and longing, the aging of a dream when no no dream had appeared. Elizabeth is this amazing stand-in for God's people in this story. She shows up on behalf of them all because they've all been wanting and longing for the birth of a child. They've almost given up hope. And then there's Mary. 
And she finds herself in the same condition, but really the opposite situation, right? She is expecting a baby she never expected. While Elizabeth's baby is almost too late, Mary's is really too early. She's young, unmarried, a scandalous place to find herself in. In fact, there's probably reasons beyond just a nice visit to an older relative for Mary to get out of town. To come to Elizabeth's house and find safe haven as the news possibly spreads through her family's, Joseph's, their town. While Elizabeth's overdue for a baby, Mary's pregnancy is unexpected in a whole different way. This is the baby no one expected, both because of the condition of his mother, but also because when he arrives, his entire identity will be a shock in every way. And in this way, Mary's condition is a lot like the condition of God's people too. Mary is standing in the place of God's people as well because as much as they've been longing and waiting and hoping, they're going to be totally thrown off guard when he arrives. This is nothing like the Messiah they've been planning for. I mean, the circumstances of his birth to start with, people were thinking palaces, not stables. Crowns, not swaddling clothes. His birth would be just the first clue that everything about him is unexpected. Jesus is this Messiah that defies all their expectations. He didn't lead a conquering army. Instead, he came and sought out the least and the lost. He sought out the very people everyone else had given up on. He was a friend to sinners, and instead of conquering those who challenged him, he died on their cross, emptying himself to death, even death on a cross. And then he defied expectations again by defeating death. Who does that? People don't know what to do when you do what they don't expect. If your ministry is shaped like the ministry of Christ, it will take people off guard sometimes. They won't know what to do with you. That may mean that you're following in Jesus' footsteps. The Messiah of the unexpected, who shows up with enough power and one little fingernail to zap all the bad guys out there and lays down his life for them instead. They expected this leader who would come and overthrow their enemies, but he loves enemies makes them friends, welcomes them in. How could they have even known? He wasn't just coming to save them from their enemies. He was coming to save us from ourselves. How unexpected can you get? The good news is, and I say this, not just for this special, but for the one you're living, his plans are always better. They're always better. We come up with lists of expectations. His plans are always better. Jesus is the gift that no one expected, but the one we needed. What if we had gotten what we asked for? That wouldn't have been the best. So even though the world was longing for him the way Elizabeth longed for a child, they were still taken by surprise the way Mary was. So Luke's Christmas special is helpful. Helpful for those of us who are always thinking that God is either running late or showing up too early 
or doing what we never asked for or expected. It's not just the incarnation. God has a way of doing this for all of us. He knows how to make an entrance, regardless of our expectations of his timing. I will say when I read this story, I have this very distinct memory every year of a Christmas Eve, well, 14 years ago this year, a Christmas Eve, standing in front of a sanctuary and reading Luke's gospel story of the birth of Christ and feeling a little bit like an object lesson. Because I was, what word shall we use? Great with child. (laughs) On Christmas Eve, we would wear these black clergy robes, and mine was huge. It was as wide as it was long. It had shoulder pads in it to make it wider, and it still almost wasn't wide enough to contain the blessing that was happening within it. I was the first pregnant pastor this church had ever known. Ten male pastors and me. And I was due within a few months of Christmas. And I got to stand up and read that story, and people just stared the whole time. Like, they just didn't know what to do with me. And in a way, it felt like that whole community was expecting with me. It's so interesting that when there's a baby on the way, people start to use we language. People said things like, do we know if it's a boy or a girl? Have we decided where we'll be delivering yet? I was like, we? (laughs) Do we have names picked out? And uh, I had never realized until I shared that experience with a congregation just how much of a community event expecting is. There's a lot of we in the waiting. When there's a baby on the way, the sense of it is kind of catching. We, we look forward with expectation and hope. And the Advent season is a lot like that. When we know someone who's expecting, we're on pins and needles, we're waiting for a phone call, we want to know when the event will happen. Advent puts us on pins and needles for when he comes. And when he comes again, there's a lot of we in the waiting. This feeling of expectation, it's so contagious that people just try to make up stories. They make up their own specials to go with it. They want to capture that sense of excitement and joy, and they start saying things about a Grinch or a reindeer, a snowman, or the guardians of the galaxy. They all want in on the expectation and hope trying to capture the meaning of a season in just 30 minutes with commercial interruptions. So this feeling that something is about to happen, the whole world is sensing it. But you know the story. You know it didn't just start in a manger. It goes way back. And you know that it's worth waiting for. So welcome to Advent. This is a season for waiters in training. And waiting seems very passive, like why would we train for it? You know why, you're terrible. You're terrible at it. You you don't wanna get in line when there's two people in front of you at Starbucks. Elijah, how do people wait for their drinks at Starbucks, patiently? No. (laughs) You, 
When the light turns green and the person in front of you pauses for two seconds, what does your heart rate do? You're terrible at this. Most of us are not good waiters. We need practice. We need training to wait. Most of our lives will be filled with waiting for something. I don't have to tell you this. You're in this very transitional space called seminary. I don't have to tell you about waiting, but trust me on this, as soon as you finish this season of waiting, there will be something else to wait for. So God gives us this gift in Advent, preparing our hearts as we prepare him, as we learn these beautiful, bittersweet lessons of waiting. We've been fooled by those little chocolate Advent calendars all those years to think that what we wait for is always predictable and always sweet. And Jesus turns the tables on that. You can't time it. You can't predict it. And for those of us that live in this already not yet kingdom on earth, we are going to know a sense of holy dissatisfaction with the way things are and the broken world around us. We're not supposed to be completely fulfilled and satisfied here because it's not yet. We're still waiting. And this serves to heighten our longing for the return of Christ and all things being made right that is something to be expectant for. So Luke's Christmas special, these women give us a gift that's so great. They play these roles on the behalf of the people of God and on behalf of us. They remind us that no one is so late that they're forgotten. No one is so early that they're overlooked. And that God is in the waiting. God comes for people who are expecting and looking and people who are totally clueless, the overdue and the premature, God shows up. So this is far from a passive act, friends. It's something we train for, and we're training for it now. Waiting is a countercultural act pregnant with hope. We are a waiting people. May we train well. Let's pray. Lord, in this season... We know dissatisfaction. We know expectation. We know the feeling of looking at the weary world around us and longing to see it be made right. For some of us, that is as personal as someone that we love in a difficult place, for watching sickness and death around us, for seeing the news and nations warring against nations. Lord, we know that all has not been made right. So God, give us your sense of expectation. Give us your sense of waiting and hope. You who waited for the fullness of time to come, come again. Amen.